This is the Stay Healthy Experience. I'm Robert Ferguson, and uh, our other host is Barbara Chris, who is not here today. Where's Babs at? She didn't want to come in. Wow. And of man. course, we have Mr. Daniel Baldwin. And it's nice to come to your neck of the woods where you're working on this documentary, Daniel. Yeah, we're up here in uh, Boise, Idaho, uh, at the Grove Hotel. Our good friend Larry Leisure is uh, hosting us here, and uh, we're cutting together uh, this very special documentary project that you're actually a big part of. Uh, uh, the name of the movie is uh, My Promise to PJ. Um, it uh, was a, a six-month odyssey that I went on uh, to keep a promise to a friend who died of an opioid overdose. Um, <clears throat> and the, the short of the story is I promised PJ that I would take him to run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain if he got two years sober. He got three and a half years sober, went back out once again, uh, and the first time he ever shot heroin again, he overdosed and died uh, on fentanyl. So uh, I decided that because I had gotten so heavy and I was having a hard time with his death, that I was going to fulfill my promise to him by losing the weight on your diet-free life program that you mentored me through. Uh, in five months, I lost 55 pounds. I flew to Barcelona, drove to Pamplona, and I ran with the bulls with PJ's ashes in my hands. I then uh, entered the stadium with the bulls in the big bull ring, and in front of 25,000 fans, I spewed his ashes to say goodbye to him. Um, so we've turned it into a documentary film chronicling, uh, um, interviewing his family and members of my family. It's the first film to ever have myself and my three brothers in it. First time all four Baldwins are in a film. Uh, and I couldn't have done it without you and your program. Well, thanks, Daniel. Actually, watching the trailer today, which I'm sure is going to go through a lot of changes, maybe not, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but watching it, um, I teared up at the end of the trailer. Yeah, it's emotional. So can you share with, like, with people who are hearing about this for the first time, like why the documentary? You know what I mean? And, and how you guys put together that list and then you decided I'm going to run with the bulls. Right. Well, I had put PJ into multiple recovery centers. Actually, we're going to kick this off. We're going to take a big jalapeno. This is a big ass Big jalapeno. old jalapeno. Look at this thing. We're going to cut it with a knife and get all proper on it. This is a fat burning snack right here. <laughs> I'm going Wisconsin, man. I'm just going to gnaw. How we are doing, having, yes, thank you. Let me see, that's it? Yeah, no, we're rocking and rolling. You're not going big time, just No, I can't do it like that. But, I mean, I want to give a big shout out to Larry and the Grove Hotel that we're, uh, they're letting us use this room as we enjoy some food and. They never turn the music off for us. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little jazz going on in the back. I'm but, gonna go big, I'm gonna go big. All right, well, but watching the documentary, one, in a short period of time, you know, two what, two, is it two and a half minutes, something like that? Mm -hmm. A person gets the full understanding of why it's called My Promise to PJ. And there's a, there's a part in, I believe the trailer or in the documentary, where you make a comment about what promise could we all like see through? Mm. You know what I mean? Like what promise the, the you quote, give to someone? The quote is, the question is, how far would you be willing to go to keep a promise? I love that. Um, and so I put PJ into one recovery center where he was facing time in prison. He had a nonviolent, non-sexual stuff. Um, but he's stealing stuff to keep up his habit. So I put him in one program. He failed after two years. I put him in another program. He failed again. And finally, I reached out to the judge and the district attorney in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I said, well, this is not a bad guy. He's just a drug addict. Give me one more shot with him. So as I took him out to Malibu to go into uh, Greg Hanley's SOBA program, where I graduated from, 
Um, I asked him to write a bucket list of the 10 things he always wanted to do that if he overdosed or he ended up in prison, he wouldn't get a chance to do. And um, he wrote that list, and I had written a list in 2006 when I got sober. And we had one match to run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. Wow. So I said, okay, you get two years sober, and I will take you to run with the bulls on me. We'll do it first class, the whole bit. So we laid out the course on, you know, on my laptop, and we, as we're looking at it, we see this big turn that says, Dead Man's Curve. So we read up more about it. We were getting really excited, getting all pumped up. You know, when you're talking with your mates about right. stuff you're going to do. And blah, blah. So uh, we decided, what would two drug addicts say? We're going to run in Dead Man's Curve. <laughs> so we read up on it, and it turns out the bulls run at about 33 miles an hour, a little, uh, about 10, 10 and change slower than a thoroughbred racehorse. So they can really run. You can't run 33 miles an hour, so no. they're going to run you down. And they weigh 12, 1,200 all the way up to like 1,500 pounds. So they're much bigger, and they've got giant rack of horns that are curved and screwed like this so that when they hit you with them, it burrows into your body and breaks everything up on the way in. Funny how God sets certain things up. Um, well, I like how graphic you are about it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's scary stuff. So we decided we're going to run in the curve, and then we said, okay, I told them, here's my list. I said, I'm going to run. I'm going to run in the curve. I'm going to touch a bull. I'm going to touch a bull's horn. Because we're watching videos of a guy's reaching over right. and grabbing the horn. I said, I'm going to touch a bull's horn. I said, and then we got to do something in the curve outlandish. So PJ goes, let's run in the curve with the bulls and we'll high five. And I said, no, man, that's lame. I go, we got to come up with something better than that. So I remember Desmond Howard, the uh, running back, punt returner for Michigan. He was uh, nominated as one of the five Heisman Trophy finalists his senior year in college. And the last game of the season, already knowing that he was nominated, he ran a punt back against Ohio State for like 60, 67 yards. He runs into the end zone. He runs right up to the camera at ABC, and he hits a Heisman Trophy post, indicating, you're right, I won. And I thought, man, the balls it took to actually do that, not knowing if you won yet. Either he jinxed himself, or it was the cockiest, coolest thing I've ever seen. So, of course, he wins the Heisman Trophy. And uh, and I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run in dead man's curve. I'm going to hit a Heisman pose in the curve in a bull's face. And, of course, he jumped up and went, challenge, no way are you going to do that. There's right. no way. I went, I will do it. And so I ran with his ashes, and when I hit Dead Man's Curve with the bulls all around me, I hit a Heisman pose with PJ's ashes in my hands in Dead Man's Curve. Now, when, when someone watched this documentary, mm -hmm. what do you want them to? I mean, I get the promise, and there's a whole bunch that people would walk away yeah. with, but what, do, what would you like to, to come out of this for people who watch it? Well, there's a great moment uh, that'll be in the film where you, um, the audience, doesn't know that I brought PJ to your attention and he came over and helped in your studio with many different things and, and, and you became very good friends with PJ. Um, so PJ says in an interview we did in your studio with him, Greg Hanley, and Andy Dick, uh, and he said, you know, I have a story to tell and I want to tell my story and people should know about this. Uh, and, and, I, and I thought about that Going back, it's kind of eerie to watch someone who you know that's now dead talking about the potential of his own death in an interview and so on. And uh, um, what happens to the people that are left behind when these tragedies happen? There's a story. There's, uh, there's anger and there's, um, there's deep emotion. I mean, I know this boy's mother since I'm five years old. I mean, she's an old, dear friend of mine. And she was my brother Alex's first girlfriend in junior high school. Now, in the documentary, do you guys touch on that at all? Yes. Okay, nice. Yeah. 
Yeah, we talk about all that. No stone left unturned. Listen, <laughs> an, an, another thing that comes out is that Patrick Raynor Sr., PJ's father, was the first boy to ever kiss my sister Beth. And Beth talks about it in her interview. So, I mean, we're talking, we go... Oh, wow. Yeah, first boy to ever kiss Beth. So, uh, yeah, we, we, know them, we know them a long time. Um, and so there was that element. And then there was another element. And this may sound initially to you when you're, when you're listening to this a, a little selfish, but um, two things for me in this. Uh, well, three, really. The weight loss and, and my diabetes, my sugar and everything on Diet Free Life coming, was plummeting down. And being healthier is a, was a big bonus for me. I'm going to live longer because I made this movie um, and, I, and, and I used your program. But more importantly, in the, when I set out to make the film was, you know, I invested a lot of time in PJ. A lot. This is not my child. I did not know PJ. I remember when he was born, Bob, but it's like somebody else that you, know, you haven't right. talked to for a long time in 20 years. And suddenly he grew up and his mother reached out to me to help him because he had a drug problem. But, so I, I'm not his uncle that knew him since he was born and everything. I remember he was born and I didn't really know much of him at all in his childhood. Then he's thrust into my life because of his addiction. And I spent flights, hotels, phone calls, emails, you know, debates with district attorneys and coaching him and getting him into programs and they didn't have the money to get in and I had to you know, go and do a speaking gig to get him in for them to scholarship him. I mean, a lot of time. So, you know, he was one of my, um, my prime subjects of people. I looked at him, I said, look at PJ. Look at what he accomplished from being such a terrible heroin addict. And then um, this was not how it was supposed to go. PJ, I wasn't supposed to hear three and a half years later that PJ went out with some girl, shut up heroin, and right. died. That's not what the plan was. PJ was going to come help me help another 5,000 addicts in my lifetime. He was going to help me do stuff, and, and, uh, and he agreed to that. He was, we were going to give it back. He was going to owe. And not me, but pay it forward. So I wanted to take his death and turn it into something positive. How could I do that? How can I take this terrible loss and prevent someone else from going down this path? Well, I'm a filmmaker. That's what I do. You know? So I thought, wow, if I was to tell this story and interview his mom, first time, like I said, all my brothers are in a film, and we talked about addiction. And, and my own brothers talk more about my addiction in the film. They don't really talk about PJ's addiction because this affected them when I was running wild and, and being an idiot and I, was, I wasn't sober, you know, back in the, in the 90s especially. So it, it gave them also a chance to express themselves in a way that I don't know if my brother Billy had ever really told me the things he told me on camera, you know. So there's a, there was a lot of things that, ca that, that came out of it. But also a voice for Barbara Jean, you know. I mean, poor Barbara Jean. She, I mean, this is a loving, great person. And she's lost her son. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to lose your kids. You're supposed to die and then they come see you afterwards in the afterlife in heaven. And that's it's an unnatural occurrence. So I wanted to give them a voice too. Um, I wanted that. And, and, and then the, the primary function of it was, could I take his death and save another life? And so I made the movie The Wisdom to Know the Difference about a man that I knew who kidnapped heroin addicts and forced them to get sober in a, a remote cabin in uh, Big Bear, California. And uh, that movie won a lot of awards. Um, it helped a lot of people to go ahead and get sober and believe that there's a, a chance to do so. And I'm hoping that people will watch this film and that they will say to themselves, my God, it doesn't have to be this way. Because this, this is where it's gonna go for a lot of people, particularly once you get to a needle level. You know, the, this fentanyl thing right now 
it, it, it's not even being careless. You don't know how much fentanyl is in it. Any one batch can knock you out, and that's it's over. So um, I'm hoping that it saves lives. So if there was one thing, what I'm hearing you say is that you would like this documentary to touch people in a way that it helps them. If I could say any one thing, um, I've been in films that have won Oscar for Best Picture. I've been in television series that won Best Drama in all of TV. I mean, I've seen you know, the projects that I've done to go to the absolute epitome you can go to awards-wise. But I will never be able to say I didn't think twice. Wisdom to know the difference saved human beings' lives. This film will save human beings' lives. I would much rather take that to my grave into heaven than winning any award. So I've, I've, I've created... <clears throat> films that have helped save lives. Right. That, that's my goal. I, I, if I reach one person and it saves their life, wasn't it worth it? Oh, I mean, 100%. For sure. I mean, that's, I mean, I get that out of it. Yeah. So it's good that people will get a chance to... Well, look at what you do. I mean, don't, uh, doesn't, don't you ever look back at, like, how many people... Forget about the high-end training. I mean, you've had world championship boxers under your tutelage, and you've had... Uh, M the, the biggest names in MMA and so on. But it's really that woman in Ohio that reaches out to you and says, Robert, my blood sugar was an average of 270, and it's now down to 140, and I don't have to take insulin anymore, and I'm going to live to see my grandchildren. Isn't that, like, amazing? You can say that a thousand, thousands of times. Yeah, but in that world, man, weight loss is no joke. As people are coming to you, asking you questions about... Yeah your weight loss, and as you start to help people, you will start to realize, if you haven't already, that many people are so broken that it's not just about eat this, it's not just about move more. There's a, there's a mental side of this that needs a lot of like, work for many, many people. It's kind of like, like when you and I talk about how we meet certain business people and they get certain things and we find out that they were an athlete. So right. they had that athletic mindset. There's a mentality. That they take that into a lot of things, like with Kobe Bryant, right? Mm -hmm. He had that mindset, yeah. and then next thing you know, he wins an Oscar. And, and you hear those stories. Do you know what they call it? What's that? Kobe. He calls it. He's got a title for it. What do they call it? It's a Mamba mindset. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that. So he talks it. That's what he calls it. Well, I heard that since he <clears> passed, <throat> which mm -hmm. I find fascinating. Yeah. You know, but weight loss is, is not an easy task because you're taking someone. So imagine you have a woman who never was an athlete. Mm -hmm. She's now 62 years old. I mean, she wants to look better. She wants to feel better. You know, she's thinking about mortality a little bit. And now she goes, okay, so what do I eat? Well, she gets the nutrition plan. She understands that I need to move more. But then she falls short mentally. She, she, the team is not in a place to support her. The husband's not really giving her the support that she thought she mm -hmm. would get. Uh, her friends are like, why are you eating that way? Well, I'm doing this. You know what I mean? It's like you're up against a lot you know, in the world of weight loss, and it's not getting easier. Mm -hmm. So have you seen that yet with, with certain people you come across? Well, I, see, I mean, I see that in addiction all the time. Um, you know, trying to, mm. you, you, and, and it's not just, like you see, you brought up the husband of the 62-year-old woman. It's not just the, um, uh, the subject. Uh, it's, it's the surrounding family. The family's sick. Now, so usually you don't find one person where everyone's in really good shape, but one person's just really heavy. Um, you, don't, you don't find that. Right. It's usually in the family. Um, one of the things that I found that's a really great weapon is not, um, it's either the child or depending on how old the subject is, the grandchild. So for instance, on the weight loss thing, 
you find out that she's got a nine-year-old granddaughter, get her involved. Because that nine-year-old is much more clear-minded and not as affected. Way more clear-minded. So, so when I get the granddaughter, because the guy's an alcoholic, and I go, hey, Becky, remind Grandpa that he has to go to his meetings. Grandpa! He'll hear it every day. You have to go up. Daniel says about the meetings, did you go to a meeting? And the kid will tell. So if you get the, the grandchild or the child involved in the weight loss part of it, because my kids were involved in us, mm -hmm. my daughter, Avis, would walk into the kitchen while I was losing this weight and go, that doesn't look like a fat-burning meal to me. <laughs> she would tell me. She would tell me because I showed her on the chart what Robert said. So I've got one of these 10 selections. I limited my menu. I, I, the amount of food that's available for you to make a fat-burning meal is unbelievable on your program. But I know me. I like to keep it simple. I went salmon, chicken, steak. You know, I mean, I, I didn't get into, and I, I, my proteins were like four, you know, five. Right. And I, and, and I, but I made combinations of them from broccoli to this to that, you know, for my, my slow-burning carb. And then my fast-burning carb was usually a small amount of pasta. Or I, or, I, or I turned it into macaroni salad. And then with the condiment, I put a little bit of mayo in it, you know, I mean, just to give it some flavor and some salt and pepper. But, but I mean, my portions with the size of my fist and ounces and everything. And I, had, I got a scale in there. I did the whole bit. Okay, so, you know? but, but that was, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't know that you were a, a great athlete in high school, mm -hmm. that you went to college, you know, in uh, Ball State. <laughs> Respect. Go Cardinals, baby. Ball State, baby. Muncie, Indiana, <clears throat> which I know a lot about. I still go to the same dentist in Muncie when I go back to see my mom. Wow. That's the only reason why I, I would go to Muncie. Uh, and then some of my heroes growing up went to Ball State, like Bill Superfoot Wallace. You ever know Bill Wallace? Yeah, I remember Superfoot. So when I came out to California, he took me in, man, and uh, introduced me to, to all, the, all the main guys, Benny the Jet, Nikita's. I saw Blinky Benny not that long ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I saw Benny. Yeah. But you have that mindset. And so bring it forward, and we're talking about weight loss? Yes. But, but here's what I mean about that. So why were they successful athletes? Pick a sport. Um, Michael Jordan. Okay. So what did Michael Jordan love? He loved the game. He loved the win. He loved basketball, man. Yeah. He loved he the game. He loved basketball. He loved basketball. He loved to compete. You go to a grandma, you got to find something she loves. You go to a mom, you got to find something that she loves. You get her kid or her granddaughter, it's different. So the reason why I learned that is because I loved the game and I wanted to be successful at it. And, I, and, I, and, and believe me, I didn't like to lose. So if I was... But that's going to be different when it comes to weight loss. Because, you know, I'll have a guy come to me, or a woman, and she'll say... I'll, say, you don't I'll ask them. You don't understand the spin I'm putting okay, on it. Go ahead. I, okay, well, all right, well, go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. So the spin, the, the spin the that spin? I'm putting on it is, when you say it's different... No, it's not, in my opinion. In my opinion. No, it's, it's not what? It's not different than, the, than wanting to win. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because... One of the few things that no matter what, a woman, a man, or whatever, is their family, especially their kids or grandkids. So the reason why I say one of the keys can be, and, and this is a, a master manipulation psychologically and emotionally. Mm -hmm. It is. I get that. I'm playing with someone's life. They're going to die when it comes to drugs and alcohol. They're that bad by the time they get a hold of me. So if I have to go ahead and do something underhanded, like sit down with the, with the 10-year-old daughter and go, you know, daddy has a problem, but we're going to help daddy. And I've had kids in front of me right. in the kitchen with their mother, with a father not home yet, crying. So, so we need to help daddy. I was one of those kids. We need to help daddy now. I was one of those kids. 
will you help me help daddy? Because I can't do it without you. And we watch the kid go, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, we, I was, I mean, so you know, I was one of those kids. Spin it. My mom, you know, has been sober for almost 40 years. Spin it. Okay. We, Robert, your mom is so heavy right now, I'm worried about her health. Like, I'm worried something might happen. We're going to help mommy lose weight. You can take diet-free life and explain that to a 10-year-old, and they'll learn it better than the adult. That is true. And we've done tests where kids, but... The retention. But, but go ahead, give, yeah, give, well, give it to me. Of course, I agree with you as an athlete in the way we both think. I totally get that. Okay. But one of the things that I wanted to bring up in, in this conversation uh -huh. is I want people to understand that we know it's not easy. So this is where, where I want to pick up, Daniel. And I want to go in. I want to do a deep dive. Is I don't believe that, okay, I guess what I'm saying is, because we both agree, and I'm trying to pose this in a way where people will get it as I share it. And I would love to go into a conversation about it because most of the people I've run into in my life battle with the mindset component. And you can tell very clearly when they decide they want to lose weight. Because I'll ask them that question, why do you want to lose weight? And they'll say, well, my kids, I want to be around. I go, you're around. You got to give me a stronger why. Otherwise, from a mindset standpoint, it's not there. It's not strong enough. I can say, so what to you want to be around your kids because you got your kids. So what's an example then of the proper mindset if they say their if their kids isn't enough? It actually, uh, for lack of better expression, I would say tap into your narcissistic side because when it's all about you, and, and, there, and that can be a negative, but if it's all about you and how you want to feel, then you're going to see it through. When it's for other people, you're probably going to fall short. Hmm. And so if you put more energy into that, like, like you decided, hey, when I do this documentary, I'm going to drop this weight. Well, one, you're an athlete. And when an athlete makes a decision, they've learned through training and years of falling short and then overcoming that if I stay the course and I keep pressuring and I keep working on this, it's going to be, I'm going to get a win. But when someone has never been an athlete, they don't understand how to like get the win without having those experiences. It's kind of like when we were talking off camera about Kobe Bryant. He had the Mamba, as you said, mindset. Mm -hmm. So when he left the game of basketball, he went into like doing movies, wins an Oscar. Then he's starting to get into coloring books and do all these other things. Well, he's looking at, like, he's, he's going after everything for the win. There is no stopping me now. You know, like the song, ain't no stopping me now. Hey, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's like, I just, so when I created Diet Free Life, the method, we wove in a lot of psychology. And that's why you can feel it and you can see it. And it's part of like, you're less likely to gain the weight back when you go with Diet Free Life compared to just going on a diet. Because you are developing a psychological profile that's gonna support living a Diet Free Lifestyle. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So you have 100 people, but you're in that 100 group. And I tell you, you need to do this for yourself, or you need to do this so we can help these other people. Which one's gonna motivate you more? I need to do this for myself. Or, or if you do this, we're gonna be able to help a lot of other people. Well, I'm moved by the second part. Most people are. Yeah. So in addiction, when I get somebody that's a really tough one, like PJ, 
I said to him, do you realize that if you succeed at this, how many hundreds, maybe thousands of people that once you get it down and have a couple of years under your belt, you're going to roll into living rooms like I roll into yours. You're going to roll into courtrooms like I did with your judge. You're going to go to hospitals or guys who OD and you're going to help save their life. This same principle, I believe, applies to diet for life. One of the things that really got me, and if you remember correctly, you were in the middle of a shift and doing some different things with the mm-hmm. company at the time. And I said, no, you don't understand. I'm in. Like, I want to be involved with the company. I want to be involved because I've looked at the real raw data as far as my own life is concerned. As somebody who can go up 50 pounds, and my mother's an overeater, both my sisters could lose some weight, diabetes is in my family, the health benefits, there's so many things about this stroke, heart attack. So I look at cancer and the direct correlation between body fat, body mass, and the, occur- the occurrence of cancer and the recurrence of cancer mm-hmm. is astronomical, the figures that support all of this. So this helps all of it. I was really taken aback. Why don't more people know about this? Why don't more people know that you can actually eat a piece of pizza? There's a way to do it. Not, not every day, you know, but there's ways to eat almost everything mm-hmm. in balance with each other. And but people don't know the information. They don't have the information. I was more taken by, and this could be a motivating factor for diet-free life, when you reach out to people and say to them, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to help me after this. Once we get you under control, you're going to help me help another 100 people, members of your family, members of your community, members of your church. You know, that's a huge motivating factor. That, that's part of the thing, too, for diet-free life. As, I, as we go out and we venture off into speaking, into podcasting, and reaching thousands and thousands of people at a time, no, man, I want to go educate schools. I want to go talk. And, and I love that because... That's what it's about. It's about education. Yes. And when I went to Aetna Insurance the very first time, and I sat in a room with a bunch of executives and physicians, and we were talking about how are we going to get America healthier or the world healthier, and I said education. You would have thought I was Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock, Andrew Dice Clay, (laughs) because they giggled. And they're like, Robert, if it was that simple, then we would all be lean and mean and and healthy and happy because the same people who are making these programs available to the people that we want to help, especially through insurance companies, are also battling with their own weight. And many of them are Ivy Leaguers. And I had an Ivy Leaguer tell me, she says, Robert, the biggest problem with your diet, this whole Diet Free Life program, is that it insults me. And I was like, what? She says, it's so simple. And it makes so much sense that with all my schooling and education, I'm almost pissed off that I didn't know about this already. Mm-hmm. I've literally had people like look me in the yeah. eyes and tell me that. Mm-hmm. And these physicians were the same. They were like, education, huh? And then all they want to see is the negative. And so that's been the biggest challenge in getting the word out. And I do believe that your journey, our meeting, stay healthy as a company, um, all the other people that are coming together, your documentary, all of this is going to contribute toward helping people on many levels. Man, I just came up with a great idea. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm looking over at Nick, our director, editor. I just came up with a great idea. I mean, uh, now, awesome. Could you share it, in, 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 or will people steal the idea? Yeah, from because you? they'd have to have diet-free life in order to do it. Okay. All right. So, you, so you see, know what? You know what? No, no, this is going to kill you. You need to be quiet about it. If John, if right, John and quiet. Ziggy okay. and the boys don't get this, and, I, and I'll chef it, 
You come in and lecture it, and I'll live there. Let's do a 30-day reality Died Free Life House, where we screen the people like American Idol. They come in, they tell us their story. We sit with our panel. It'll be you, me, John, and Ziggy sitting as the judges. They come out, they tell their story. I have this problem, I have diabetes, or whatever. And we decide which ones after the interview process. And we move them in to the 30-day diet-free life house. We monitor with the doctor their sugar, their heart rate, all this stuff. We, get, we bring in celebrity guests to do some of the exercise and put them into putting them on, meeting them where they're at. But we cook every meal for them, a fat-burning meal, say six people in the house. And it's not a contest. Not a, I don't want to see who loses the most weight around. We just show the world in the diet-free life house for 30 days what it's really about. Now watch in 30 days what the numbers do. Watch. I know in the first 30 days what I did. Just eating the, and, and teaching somebody how to have a fat-burning snack and proper levels of water consumption. We can have a 30-day show where we come in and we make the portion of salmon for them and everyone, and we, and we eat our fat-burning meals three days a week with the snacks in between, exercise, cameras in the house. Now, what, what was that show that you were on where you got, was it Big Brother? A celebrity Big Brother. Okay, and, and that's when the, the, the cameras are rolling the whole time. Whole so film do, it like that. We do the same thing. We don't bunk them, let them have a room. They have the bathroom with no camera, but their bedroom's a camera. How do they sleep? What's going on? Film it all. I mean, it'd be good because people would be educated. They would see. Die Free Life House. I mean, it's interesting because we do a three-day retreat. And I do like maybe one or two a year. And people come in. So when they first arrive, they get off the plane. We have a, a reception period. So they come in on a Thursday. We do everybody's weight. We do it that night. We do it in the morning. And then we handle all their foods. So I take them to restaurants. We go to In-N-Out Burger. We go to Fine Dining. We go to a steakhouse. We bring them snacks. And before they leave, after that weekend of eating three meals a day, snacking all day, having fun, karaoke, doing all this cool stuff, and they're learning, everyone is leaner. Every person leaves leaner. I'll leave, you got to come either stay or come back and forth. But I'll stay in the house and cook for them. Every meal. Now, a lot of people don't realize that I was a chef before I became an actor, so... I and mean, I'll put it out. And you were a comedian before you were a chef, right? I was a comedian since I was born. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See? See how it works? Watch me block a shot. Okay, but you do agree with me when it comes to mindset is often overlooked. Yeah, yes. And I think that you know, when you do the analogy between an athlete and an athlete's mind, remember that the, uh, a successful athlete we're talking about usually um, is geared to win. You know, I mean, so you want to win. So what is winning when you're trying to lose weight? It's losing weight. So, um, yes, I get that. And when you're talking about somebody who's already let themselves go and is 60 years old or whatever, obviously they haven't been winning at this in a long time. Um, but And many of these people, like I said, they're broken. And I'm not saying that to be negative. I'm saying yes. that with total empathy <clears throat> and compassion. Yes. But people are broken because they've done all types of diets. It's almost like being in an abusive relationship with multiple partners over a 40-year adulthood. Right. And then you discover diet for your life, and that's the good guy. He finally shows up, or the good lady, and now you have this partner who can be with you for the remainder of your life. So 95% of all addiction problems, and that's a big number, 
the addiction is a byproduct of an underlying issue. There's a sexual abuse, there's a physical abuse, there's a, a trauma, a death, or whatever it may be, even self-esteem issues. So they've reared their head in the form of addiction. But if you don't treat the underlying issue, you still got somebody that's got a problem right. that just isn't drinking anymore. I would venture to guess, and I don't know the, the statistical information like you do, but um, in a lot of those people that are heavy, I believe that they have self-esteem and other issues that either have evolved as, a, as a, a, a byproduct of gaining the weight or even started by eating and stuffing their emotions or whatever it is. So there's a lot of psychiatric work that probably needs to be done or psychological work with, with those people who have eating problems too. It's not just the food. Well, it's interesting you say that. So when I first got into the space of weight loss, I went to Hawaii and met with one of the leading bariatric surgeons. And I went and met with her. She's now retired. I mean, she may even not even be alive. She was an older lady. And we spent some time together. She was, you know, curious, like, who's this guy who wants to come see me? But I wanted to meet her. And so I go meet her in her office. She had some time. And I videotaped it. So I have the interview with her. And I said, if people could go and improve their self-esteem, would they ever need bariatric surgery? She goes, no because she's the one who would do the psychological exams before you can get the bariatric surgery. Uh. So she was very clear that self-esteem, if people had that, we wouldn't have these problems. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you know this, but, and I'll ask you a question. Uh, did you know that my first national exposure was around rape awareness and prevention? No, I did not know that. So in 1991, I launched a organization that helped women. I mean, hear me on this. I know. With rape prevention. I was about to say, were you found guilty or what no, happened? No, no. No, but, but it connects really well. Because the government, actually in 89, when Anita Hill and the whole sexual harassment. Oh, gosh, I remember There was a lot of things that weren't in place. And so being the young Marine, and nobody else wanted to do these extracurricular acti these activities um, and these new vocations, I was thrown into the... I was thrown into, to, I guess, to the pit that, Robert, you're going to teach sexual harassment. What's sexual harassment? So you get a little bit of training, and now I'm teaching sexual harassment. I'm this young Marine. And then because I was a martial artist, it tied in with the self-defense. And then it was like, I need to become more educated with domestic violence. I need to better understand molestation because a lot of times people who are violated, you had that background. So then I wrote my very first book called Rape, A Guide to Rape Awareness and Prevention. It got me on Good Morning America. I was on Geraldo like four times. <laughs> I love Geraldo. And back then they used to fly you out, get the limo, pick you up. I yeah, mean, yeah. life was great. Mm -hmm. But all of that experience with women and the challenges that they have and the work I had to do to understand self-esteem and how to build one self-concept put me in a position where I have the empathy and the compassion to help women when it pertains to weight loss. So you are 100% accurate when you say there's usually some underlining challenge that was never met or dealt with that results or manifests itself into being overweight. And then even if they get the confidence and build the self-esteem, now you have the challenges of age, hormones shifting, you know, diets and confusion around weight loss. And it just becomes like, where do you go for like okay. the real solution? Okay. So, um, because I'm going to take this because here's that three-legged stool again, 33, 33, 33% that you explained earlier. So of the 33% that's psychological, um, 
take me through, because I never had to do this with you, this part with you, because I was bound and determined and I have that athletic mindset. So what does diet-free life offer to someone that helps them with the psychological? Well, it's woven inside the program. So when a person does diet-free life, one, we help them establish a realistic, clear, definitive goal. That means that once they, they're going to achieve it, and with that, you have more confidence. We also touch a lot on the reason why you want to do it. See, when you did your documentary, you know, My Promise to PJ, and you knew you are going to run with some bulls, it was pretty obvious <coughs> the power of the why. I didn't want to get killed by a bull. Exactly. <laughs> but ask somebody. Right. Now, if, I took, if you took the average woman that has, let's say, 20, 30 pounds to get to her ideal weight, and you said, hey, I want you to do a fitness show, like what Barbara does, and we have 12 weeks, and you're going to walk on that stage, and there's going to be lights all over your body, and you're going to have people judging you, trust me, that woman will look amazing mm -hmm. because she knows what it would be like if she doesn't do what is necessary to do right. for that day. Mm -hmm. So most people don't have a strong why. And it's okay. because they don't have a strong why, meaning they don't have a motive in place. And motive is the root meaning of why, and is motive with action that gives us the word motivation. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a motive, you can jump into action, but without motive, that's only gonna last so long. Mm -hmm. You need a motive. Why do I do it? And it can't be superficial. I wanna be around for my kids. You're around your kids. What is it, what's in it for you? Well, when you look at um, what, what I was able to see when I was back at your headquarters, um, I was um, honored and privy to be able to go into one of your groups and speak. That was great, yeah. Um, and so, uh, like when you go to a house of worship, like when you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, what I found was very motivational for me in your program was uh, the coaches that you offer, um, as, as somebody to aspire to be like and to root you on and to be there for you. That is something that you get with your program that's unique and, and powerful. And the groups. Because when you're with a, a group of minded people in one direction that have a goal, you can lift others up. There's always going to be those that do a little better, right. those guys in the middle of the road, and then there's those people that are, that are in the back. I have a tendency to focus on the guy at the back. I picked him right out in your meeting, and you I, did. I came, came to him with, with support and love, and, you know, and, and I think that probably helped him. I find that that aspect of your program can be, can be quite motivational yeah. and supportive, psychologically, emotionally. Remember, there's, there's not just the psychological part. There's emotional and there's spiritual. So here's the deal. My mom gave me something through her recovery that made the Diet Free Life program to me better than anything else. And that is, with recovery, you must be honest. Mm. With weight loss, you must be honest. There's a get real moment in the beginning, mm -hmm. and then there's a get real, stay real throughout the entire process. Mm -hmm. And I love that about you, and my friendship with you is how you put that up front on everything. You know, like if I can get my hair done differently, and I say, hey, Daniel, what do you think? Whatever you say, I know it's being on. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and let me so. tell you something, that can get you in trouble. But what happens is, I remember my introduction to Nick when we started editing, I said, one thing you're never going to doubt about me is whether I told you the truth. Because in the beginning, you get, man, he's a little hardcore, huh? You come, and, then, and then afterwards, when I tell you, you know what I told you is true. You walk away from my relationship with me at all times going, 
Well, he can be an asshole sometimes, but man, he always told me the truth. Well, the truth comes across that way. But with the truth, let me just say, Daniel, thank you, man. We got to do this again. And as we always tell people, get healthy, be healthy, and forever stay, stay healthy, healthy, baby. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Ferguson, and thank you for watching our show. Now, be sure to like, subscribe, and click on the bell so that you are notified whenever we upload new shows. Again, thank you for watching.